Um, this seems to be the season. I'm not talking about spring. I'm talking about the wedding season. Feels like the whole world's wedding anniversaries are held right around this time, including my own. Much like hunting season, wedding season shares a lot of the same similarities. First, there's the great anticipation and preparation for the one moment you have to make count. Second, getting out those clothes that you would never normally wear anywhere else, but somehow now seems normal. Uh, even the scents used are sure to attract the greatest trophy. And let's not forget about the face paint, just a little different shades depending upon the season you're in. All kidding aside, um, getting ready for Sam and Abby's wedding got me thinking about Christ's analogy. We are the bride and Christ is the bridegroom. Doing a little studying on this, I wanted to know why Jesus decided to use this as an analogy. If, we're, if we go back to ancient Jewish customs, it all becomes abundantly clear and how the, how the correlation matches perfectly. Let's start, it, start out with the proposal. Christ has repeatedly invited us to partake in the relationship that he has freely given. He has laid it out there and given us every opportunity to make the choice for him. As was typical in those days, the custom was that the groom asked for marriage, but the bride still had to say yes. A true marriage covenant was only possible if the bride was fully willing and freely accepted the groom's offer. The betrothal ceremony followed the bride accepting the groom's offer. It was often a ceremony of declaration that they were to be married. That is exactly what happens when we publicly are baptized and confess in front of others that we are Christ's alone. The betrothal period, um, ancient Jewish couples were betrothed to one another for one or more years before they had a wedding ceremony and consummated their marriage. Yet this betrothal period was not anything like modern quote-unquote engagements that can be easily called off. The betrothal period was a time when the bride and groom were supposed to prepare themselves for the life they were going to soon share together. The husband often went away and prepared a home for the future family, while the woman would engage in practices that prepared her for her future life as a wife and mother. The betrothal uh, period is presupposed in many of Jesus' teachings, such as his parable about the virgins who hadn't prepared themselves for the returning bridegroom. Jesus was also alluding to this betrothal period when he told his disciples that he was, quote-unquote, going away to prepare a place for them so that they could always be where he was. Once he'd made his declaration of love and pledge of life by dying on the cross, we would have to go away. He would have to go away and prepare a place for he and his bride to live together. This betrothal period is also presupposed in the New Testament's teaching about the need for the bride to make herself ready. The betrothal gift. It was customary for a first century Jewish 
groom to express the sincerity of his pledge to his newly betrothed bride by giving her a precious gift. It was the bride's assurance while her groom was away that he would indeed return for her. Jesus gives us the precious betrothal gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus knows we cannot prepare ourselves for his return on our own. So he places his whole own spirit inside of us to empower us and teach us how to live in his ways. The consummation of the marriage. Finally, when the home was prepared and the bride had made herself ready, the groom would return for his bride. The whole community would engage in a magnificent wedding celebration and the couple would consummate their marriage and become one flesh. Before we take communion this morning, there's one question I would like to ask you along with myself included. Have we been faithful to Christ this week? Or have we committed spiritual adultery and do we need to confess? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for just giving us examples all around us that always point to you. You are a good God and you are merciful to us. You are slow to anger and quick to forgive. And we thank you for that. I ask you to just please uh, bless this body, bless the blood that we have to symbolize your shed on the cross for us. Thank you for dying and thank you for this community. Pray this in your name. Take out your uh, bread. Matthew 26, 26 through 28 writes, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he gave, had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins.
Good morning, church. Good to see you. Good to be back in Kansas. Even though we experienced a rough storm the night that we came back, uh, it was still nice to have some some uh, exciting weather. It rained almost every day that we were gone, and uh, most of the nights that we spent in our tents were uh, with half-soaked sleeping bags, but that's how I like to, to live life, right? Always exciting, always fun, and um, I can guarantee that, uh, Sam, I have prepared my daughter to uh, live through all kinds of situations, so um, you've got a tough one. Not that you're not tough as well, because folks, if you were at the bachelor's party men last night, you would have witnessed him sewing up his own arm with needle and thread, of course, that I provided him to do such with. So he is a tough fella, and uh, I'm excited for for that union. Um, Also, uh, Ben is not here, but hopefully he will watch this. I I thank him very much for uh, speaking to you guys last week. Uh, Do you know that he used like 50 one or 52 slides, 54 slides. That's impressive. I, I can't compete with that. I, I don't even know how to put that many slides in on the computer. But uh, anyway, I'm grateful for him. I'm stepping up and providing you with the word of God uh, last week. So before we get started, let's pray. Uh, dear God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come among us now. Lord, that you would Equip us with the mindset and the heart to learn from your word. Lord, open our minds so that we may see and divide what is here, God, so that we can apply it to our lives this week outside of church, so that we may take your word to the community. Lord, we love you. We're excited to live a life focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to discuss Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 43. So if you like to follow along in your Bibles, turn there, Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 43. We are discussing Paul's uh, first missionary trip. Paul and Barnabas go on these missionary trips, and this is the first one. We discussed last week a little bit about them getting uh, started off on their first missionary trip. Um, we are discussing community focus. This, this series is about us uh, building community and building connections with our community. So we're going to apply, just like we have been, Paul and Barnabas' uh, methods of reaching out the community to what we can do and how we can use that to reach out to our community. Now, two weeks ago, uh, we discussed that, that Paul and Barnabas, they, they had just won over the governor. Like, if you remember, there was a governor there, and Paul and Barnabas came to meet with him, and there was a sorcerer, and the sorcerer had attached himself to the governor. The sorcerer didn't like what Paul was preaching. The sorcerer's like, you're preaching Jesus, and, and I don't think that's good. And so he debated, he, he came up against Paul, and Paul called down the power of God. Uh, we don't get that in the text, but through Paul, uh, God worked and blinded the sorcerer. We don't know what happened with the sorcerer, but we do know that the governor who was watching gave his life to Jesus. He followed uh, the, the example that Paul had set and was excited about that. So God was glorified through that. Now, after that, uh, Paul and Barnabas 
<clears throat> they move on to a new place. So I've got a map here. <clears throat> this is a, a, a wide picture map. There's a lot of uh, a lot, lot of places in here, but you can kind of tell where Israel is down there, and you can kind of see the lines. This is Paul's first missionary journey. The adventures that Paul goes on to spread the word of God involve all kinds of neat stuff like ships and, uh, and, and crazy storms and things like that. So you can kind of see the green part towards the top where the red and blue lines go is where we are going today. This is the area of Galatia. Um, there, there's, uh, you'll read about it more in Acts chapter 13, verse 13 that we're going to read. Uh, next map. This zooms in a little bit more so you can see Galatia there. And we'll read about that he is in Pisidia and uh, Perga. And these are places that Paul and Barnabas went. This is where they're at. Now, uh, this, this part is Gentile territory here. He's going into Gentile territory. Let's read about this adventure. Verse 13. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing in the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. And after the usual readings from the books of Moses, the prophets, those in charge of the service, sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them, and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. Let's pause there in our scripture and discuss a few of the points that we get from this. Uh, number one, we see John Mark uh, not going with Paul and Barnabas the whole way. He left them. Now, we're not sure why John Mark uh, left them at this point. Scripture doesn't tell us. Maybe it's because he was worried. They were going into Gentile territory. Maybe John Mark wasn't comfortable in that kind of environment. Or maybe he, his health became not so good. He became ill and he had to turn around and go back to Jerusalem. Anyway, we don't know why he left. We can speculate all day, but he did. And we'll read later that Paul is not happy about that. But no worries, John Mark is not gone for good. He shows up later. He actually goes in Acts chapter 15, verse 37. He goes with Barnabas on a mission trip of their own. And then John Mark comes back to write the gospel according to Mark. So he leaves right there, but he is not gone for good. And, and so uh, Paul and Barnabas, they continue on their trip after he leaves. And they go to a synagogue. They go to the area synagogue. Now, if you go on a missions trip, whether it be to another country or another state, probably the first place that you're going to go would be a church. That would be my guess. And that's been my experience. You go someplace to do missionary work, and there is a church there. 
Now, that church serves uh, two purposes. First off, it could be that you're going to that church to gain information, to learn about the Word of God, to keep yourself fed so that when you go into the community to do the missions work, you can be fed and continue having the, the energy that you need to deliver the message of God to that, that community. Or it could be that that church was put there and is built there and you're going to work out of that church. Like your focus is to bring the word of God inside of that church. The community around comes to that church and you are able to share it to them. The, the, the point is, is that, that you would go and report to a church. Paul and Barnabas, this is what they do. They go to the synagogue. The first thing they do, they go to the place of worship. Because there's a lot of folks gathered up there in that one place. It's a good place to reach a lot of people. Paul and Barnabas know that. And they, they go there. And when, you know, I, I think about when I go on vacation, uh, when we went on vacation the last, last two weeks, you know, I wanted to go to a church as well, hear somebody other than myself preach. And so I got to looking up the local churches in Arkansas is kind of the backwoods area, which I love, by the way. Uh, I can relate to those folks. And uh, the, the churches there are mostly free will Baptists. So we went to this, this free will Baptist church that I picked out, the, the Daisy Free Will Baptist Church. And, oh, they are good people there, down there at the Daisy Free Will Baptist Church. A good preaching, good music. We were so blessed by that service. I mean, just a, a lot like you guys here, a lot like this church here. The preacher got up and he started to preach the message and, and it was so good and he was, he was getting on with it and, it and the Baptist part came out a little bit as he got excited and, and then he worked himself into an invitation and I, I really love the way he did that. I need to work on my invitation, do it like he does. He started that invitation and he was working on it and, and leading up to it and all of a sudden, we've been doing a lot of hiking in the, in the woods by the way. When you're hiking, you get things like chiggers and ticks and, and things like that. All of a sudden, Flint had an itch in his underarmpit. Now, you can itch an itch in the underarmpit a couple of ways. You can look like a monkey, or you can do it the Flint way. <laughs> and so when that preacher was calling the invitation, is there anyone out there who... <laughs> needs to hear the who needs to make a life decision and Flint has got this itch like this and I'm thinking I mean all of us were excited we're on the edge of our season everybody wants to go forward because you get excited wrapped up in that moment but you know and here Flint is and I'm thinking this this preacher's thinking look at this batch of heathens that just come into church and we got to save them and I was elbowing Flint Flint come on you can put it down she's like what dad what are you talking you know you couldn't tell what's going on anyway it all came out all right but uh, the point is here is to go to a church to hear the word of God wherever you go. If you're on vacation, um, if you are on a missions trip, go to a place where there is believers and when there is a gathering to where you can hear the word of God and maybe you will get a chance there to spread the word of God. And maybe that's what God wanted Flint to do. I don't, I don't know. Um, but Paul and Barnabas, they go to the synagogue to hear 
the Word of God, the, the Old Testament. And they sat through the readings of the book of Moses, the, the books that Moses wrote. And they, they started, you know, they were taking that in. And then the scripture that I just read, it said uh, that the leaders there sent a message to Paul and Barnabas. Um, you know, the, the picture that I get is here they are reading from the book of Moses, the, from the law, and uh, these two new fellows come in. Now remember, we're deep in Gentile territory. There isn't a whole lot of Jewish folk here. So they could probably tell that Paul and Barnabas were Jewish by the way they dressed, uh, by, by the folks they knew there. They knew they're a small uh, synagogue community. So these new folks come in, and they're obviously Jewish. And so they become excited, right? We got new folks. And not only are these new folks, but they're Jewish from another land, and maybe they have some encouraging things to tell us. So the scriptures that they sent message, and I'm, I'm picturing the, the leaders saying to another guy, hey, you see those new fellows back there, those, those Jewish guys? Why don't you go tell them to, if they have anything to share with us? And so somebody goes back and they tap Paul on the shoulder and say, hey, if you guys have any motivation, any exhortation to share with us, uh, we would like to invite you to do that. It was an invitation. Paul and Barnabas both, uh, we know them. So this has to be so exciting. Do you have anything to tell us? Paul stands up. I'm glad you asked. Because Paul is excited. The scripture says he stands up and spreads his arms uh, to quiet everyone. Now this is not, uh, uh, everybody be quiet. This is uh, the way that the Jewish folk did it. They would, they would stand up and they would do this kind of a thing. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but uh, we see it these days too when they speak to kind of let everyone know, hey, I've got something to say. I'm, I'm going to start talking. Everybody's like, oh, this fellow's talking. And then Paul breaks loose with a sermon that is a lot like Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. By the way, uh, Pentecost, we celebrated that a few weeks ago. Um, so Paul uh, starts in on this sermon. He is so excited to preach to them. Um, now, uh, let me get into a few points here before we get started with that. Uh, number one, we must be ready to accept the opportunity. Paul, he was ready. When they asked him to speak, he was like, yeah, I've got some things to say. And he stood up and was ready to speak. He was offered the opportunity and he took it. He was prepared as well. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain. Folks, it doesn't get much better than this when you're in the community somewhere when you're at a school or at a place of work and someone asks you to share with them some words of motivation. Oftentimes when we do um, 
when we share the word of God or when we evangelize, we have to take the initiative and, and share it uh, without the invitation. But when you get an invitation, take advantage. Be ready for that. Sometimes it's difficult. If we're not ready for that, if we're not prepared, we're tempted to be, oh man, I just don't, I'll pass this time. Paul provides the example to take advantage and to use the opportunity. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, tells us to live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Now, what does this look like? Maybe this looks like when you're at a family gathering and someone says, uh, hey, you you go to church. Uh, How would you like to pray for us? And be ready to pray. Uh, Maybe it's, it's like in a family situation where you're among friends and... Someone has been going the wrong direction. They've been making bad choices and they need someone to motivate them to turn, right? To make a change in their life. Here is a situation where you can step up. They say, we need somebody to motivate them. And you, you're a Christian, so you can provide this. Be ready to do that. Maybe it's a situation of comfort. Maybe someone is really ill or someone has passed away and because you are a reader of the Word of God, because you have faith in Him, then you know hope beyond what others don't that don't know God. You are equipped to share that words of comfort, that that hope with them take advantage of that situation let your conversation be gracious and attractive this reminds us that we must gear our words so that they reflect love like Jesus does so they they reflect compassion that we care about the people that we are talking about now, Paul's sermon is a bit lengthy, uh, but, but it's a good one. Acts chapter 13, verse 17. I'll go through just a little bit of this sermon here and uh, point out some important things in it. Uh, Paul says, The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then, with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. Paul has built his sermon very strategically to not only discuss and bring about and present the Word of God to the Jewish folk there, but also to the Gentiles who are evidently outside of the synagogue listening in. But first, he addresses the Jewish folk. This nation of Israel chose, the God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow. There's an important point here. God chose his people. 
sometimes we feel like, oh man, are we gonna? Are, is that person gonna choose God, or, or not? Uh, that's wrong thinking. You see, uh, we make choices in our life every day, but God has already chose us. He has already made the decision that He loves us and He wants us. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, uh, you should look that up when we get home. That is about the, the Jewish, the true Jew. Paul uses that term, true Jew. And the reason he uses that is because when he is preaching to Gentiles, and there is a concern, you know, is the right way to be completely Jewish and accepting Jesus? Or can the Gentile, who's never been Jewish, accept Jesus as well? And Paul says, listen, Jesus is what the focus is on. If you put your faith in God and His Son, then you are a true Jew. He pulls in the Gentiles and say, you will inherit the kingdom of God if you put your faith in Him. So in this situation, Paul is speaking to them both and he says, God has chosen you. In our community, there are lots of different kind of people from different parts of life. And we must understand that God has chosen everyone and we need to reach them with the word of God so that they can accept that calling and then they can gain the salvation through Jesus. It's not our our place to decide who God has chose and who he is not. So Paul says, uh, we uh, God has chosen us and he wants us to multiply and to grow strong. He wants to bring us out of slavery. These words are collecting the, the attention of the people there. Out of slavery. And they're thinking, uh, yes, we, we remember that. Okay, we're on board, Paul. We're listening to you. And then he continues to preach. And he said, uh, at first, God gave the people judges. And these judges would help them rule the land and help them take care of things. But the people didn't like that. They complained. They wanted a king. They begged for a king. And so God gave them a king. It was Saul, and he was good for a little bit. But he was a man, and he failed. And then God gave them David. David was a king after God's own heart. He was a decent, uh, he was a good king. He wasn't perfect though. And this is beautiful how Paul does it in verse 23. Uh, Paul says after this, And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Now did you see how how, uh, Paul worked that in there? He started talking about Jewish background. He told them how they have been chosen. How they know this old word and this is true. The, the, the good old scripture. And he says, you remember King David? And this is his link to Jesus. One of King David's descendants. Who is God's promised savior of Israel. And he lets out. Jesus is what I'm here to talk about. 
he continues to say John the Baptist preached about this Jesus. Uh, He prepared the way. John said that Jesus is coming soon. You know, I I think about this, and uh, if you would ask me, when he says, uh, brings up Jesus here in front of them, I think, boy, I I wouldn't, at, at this point, if I was a Jewish person, I would want to say, no, I'm not, I'm not crazy about what you have to say. You're talking about something that we are not comfortable with. As a matter of fact, go back uh, to the 16, and it says, I'm speaking to you, men of Israel, and God-fearing Gentiles. If I was a, a hardcore Jewish person, I would have probably been out at that point. No, we're not... We're not listening to you if you're talking to the Gentiles as well, if you're including them in. And now you're talking about the Savior who is already here. But these these people here in this synagogue today, uh, they were ready to accept the Word of God. Because we don't read anywhere that they turned away. As a matter of fact, as we get further on, we read that they accepted this message and they were excited about this message. Verse 26, Paul says, brothers. At this point in the sermon, he is connecting with them, linking them to himself. Brothers, you sons of Abraham, and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. He groups Gentiles and Jewish together into one. It has been sent to us community. We don't get to decide who our community is. But we do have the task of taking the Word of God to them. Now, Acts chapter 13, verse 32 gives us our next point. Verse 32 says, And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. And now we are here to bring you this good news. Good news. Uh, If I'm to go to somebody in the community and say, man... Like we're all we're all we're all bad people. We're all kind of kind of sinners. And and there was this uh, this man, and he fixed all that. He, his name is Jesus, and because of Jesus, we're not all 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 going to hell anymore. I mean, <clears throat> those are true things, right? But is the person going to listen to you? I mean, maybe. Paul says. This is good news. We have come here to bring you the good news. So when you tell people about Jesus, about this good news, you tell them, look, <clears throat> once we were all in, uh, in such a bad situation, there was no way that we could get our sins taken away. You know, before Jesus came, we were offering sacrifices. We had to give our firstborn, our finest animal, just to push our sins off till later. It wasn't forgiving them 
forgiving us of our sins, but we had to do this. And then, and then all of a sudden, Son of God came down. And from that point on, I don't have to worry about being afraid of going to hell every day because now I have forgiveness because Jesus died on a cross. And just as the scripture said, he came back to life, not just for any random reason, but for me and for you. This is good news. We don't have to work our way to heaven. We couldn't do that. So when you share the word of Jesus... Share it like it is good news. Don't be boring about it. Preach the and, and tell about the excitement that we can experience through being set free. Now, a way to do this is to commit to memory or at least have some verses highlighted in your Bible <clears throat> that speak of good news like these good news verses. Uh, just a few examples um, on like Romans 8.31, it says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Right? So there is some good news for us. Philippians chapter 4, verses 3 says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That is good news. We have Christ to help us out every day. Maybe you can point them to the parable of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. Have that verse highlighted and talk about how, hey, once I was lost and now I am found just like the prodigal son. He was gone and his father considered him dead for a while, but he had hope when he come back, he was found and he has new life. Now he has returned to life. And talking about new life, Romans chapter 6 verse 4 tells us about this new life that we can step into if we accept Jesus as our Savior. You've lived a life and you can tell them that I've lived a life that where it wasn't any good and it was difficult and it was hopeless. And, and maybe, you know, you're failing right now, but that failing is not what determines where you're going. You can step out of that into new life, a new life. Who doesn't want a second chance, a new opportunity to live? And this is what Paul is telling them. And this is good news. When we take the Word of God to our community, make sure that you tell it like it's good news. My third point for today is to follow up. Listen, uh, the people that Paul were preaching to here in the Galatia region, um, they gladly accepted Paul's message of Jesus. They were happy to hear it. Uh, They maybe accepted it too easily. What What I mean by that is when we read the book of Galatians, Galatians is the letter that Paul wrote to the very place that he visited years before. And in his book, in his letter to the Galatians, he tells them things like Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to 
himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And in things like chapter 5, verses 7 through 10, he tells them, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for He is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. They were quickly led astray. As quickly as they accepted Paul and Barnabas' message, they were ready to accept the next new thing. Have you ever met a person like that? Or maybe you're tempted to be like that as well. Just the next new thing that comes along. The next best uh, telephone. Or the next uh, best car. Or the next best Bible study. Uh, We're all tempted to do it. And Paul presented them with the best. Jesus. There is no best, next best after that. The message that he preached to them they added to later. The message was, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, is the verse that this comes from. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. By His grace, you believed believe faith and then this is not by yourself this is from God this is important when you reach out to someone remember this is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone if you remember anything from this message then those should be the three things that you remember salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone Now, one way of remembering that, if you're an electrician or if you uh, have outlets in your house that are the ground fault circuit interrupters, you know what I'm talking about? These are the ones that when a storm comes, uh, it trips to keep you safe. These are the ones that if, if the kids stick their keys into or their fingers or if they get some wire and they stick it in there, it will shut off and not fry the poor little fingers of the kid that stick it in there. You don't get uh, you don't get shocked. Uh, I remember when we were working on the, uh, the 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 new made a new thrift shop down there. Uh, Joseph was helping us out, and boy, he he pulled out his pliers and he cut a live wire, and it burned a big old hole in a wire and probably blew the uh, the pliers out of his hands. I wasn't there; I didn't see that. But um, if there would have been a ground ground fault circuit interrupter in there, then that would have uh, saved his pliers. It would have saved him from being electrocuted. Uh, Why do I say that? I forgot why I was telling you that. Here's why. GFC. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Christ will protect you from anything if you put your faith in Him. He is that. Now the Galatians, they were following some false teachers. 
uh, they, they were telling them things like, you have to keep every single part of the Jewish law. These are called Judaizers, is what, they, what we call them. And they said, you've got to do all these like 600 and some commandments, and then we add Jesus on top of that. That's not what Paul preached. Like uh, Things like circumcision and, and things. Paul says, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. In Acts chapter 13, verse 42, brings us with the end part of Paul's message. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on on the grace of God. They begged them to speak again. We want you to come back. Uh, And then many of them followed and they uh, wanted them to continue to rely on the grace of God. The question is, is what do we want to happen when we share the good news of Jesus with our community. Well, number one, we want them to ask questions. We want them to say, tell us more. Number two, we want them to follow the way of Jesus. Not just to follow us, that's not what we're geared for. We want them to follow the way that we are following, following the Savior that we are following. We want to be that example for them. Number three, we want them to rely on the grace of God. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Our mission to our community is to to be ready to accept the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. Be ready and accept that opportunity. Our mission is to present them with the good news like it is good news. Not like it's some boring thing that's a hindrance to life. And let our mission be to follow up with them. To, after we've uh, preached the good word to them, spread the, uh, the good news, told them about it, loved on them, that we come around again and we support them and, and encourage them through the difficulty. Now, when... Paul and Barnabas were telling them this, uh, you know, they probably grew better and better at what they were doing. When we tell this to people, we're also likely uh, to catch on more about what we're saying. I personally need this message, grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone, every day. If we're sharing that with others, that's going to be out front and open to our minds, and we're going to be hearing it from ourselves every day. Listen, one last thing. When I was on vacation, we went to this place where you could dig for diamonds. It was in Arkansas, and there was much trees and mountains, but in the middle here, there was a state park, and they had about uh, about a probably 30-acre, 40-acre plot uh, plowed up, and it was just plowed dirt, and you could pay money and go out there and uh, search for diamonds. And there were all kinds of folks out there 
uh, hundreds of, and it was pouring down rain, so I'm guessing it wasn't busy. Uh, there were hundreds of folks uh, out there trying to find diamonds. And I wonder how many people would go out there, uh, you know, per day, per year, looking for a diamond, and how many of them would actually find a diamond. We didn't find a diamond. I didn't see anybody else there going, whoa, look at what I got. I don't think anybody found a diamond that day. I want to contrast this with Jesus. We want our people that we reach out to to know that this finding Jesus is not like trying to find a diamond in the middle of a plowed field. God chooses us. Jesus is there. All we have to do is to ask him to come into us, is to call on his name, the scripture says, is to invite him to have a personal relationship with us. We don't have to search. We don't have to be good at it. We just have to ask. So let's do that right now. Father God, Lord, I ask that you would come and that you would be such a part of our lives that we would reflect you with the way we act and the words we say. Lord, I thank you for this message from Paul. Lord, I ask that you would help us to take it to our community. Help us to show those, uh, those folks that are struggling that you're not hard to find, God. You're right there and you've been there the whole time and you're inviting them to accept you. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we can have new life. We can forget about all our failures and our past. We praise you for that. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.